But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified, bowed their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb... They told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. Perplexed. Amazed. Did not believe. The language of all four Gospels around the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus tell four angles of the same story, but... The resurrection of Jesus, as it becomes more pronounced, especially here in Luke 24, did you hear the language? Perplexed, amazed, and right there in the Bible, did not believe. If you ever find yourself in this position, full of faith, but with still a little bit of perplexed, on your good days, and downright disbelief on your bad days, take heart. You're not alone. Terrified? Even the people who were there at the resurrection on the day it happened, perplexed, amazed, disbelief. Some thought it was an idle tale. Now, Little did they know what was coming. They would see Jesus, which they did. And that's where you and I come in today. Are you ever perplexed? Because here's the good news. We will see Jesus again. I don't know how, what, when, or where, but I believe which is another way of saying that every day when I wake up, I decide to take the risk of faith. I listened to an interview recently with Esther Perel. She grew up in Belgium in the 1940s and 50s, and she grew up around Holocaust survivors. Her parents 
were the only survivors of their families. And so growing up in Belgium in the 1940s and 50s, she said that street smarts is what kept them going, which translated to the ability to stay alive. Life was about one thing for them prior to getting out. And it was about survival. But then after the war, something shifted among those who survived. Growing up among the survivors, Perel saw two groups emerge in her communities where she grew up. One group who did not die. The other group who came back to life. There were those who survived, and there were those who, she said, revived. Those who did not die just survived, and there they remained. Those who came back to life learned, again, how to take risks, to play, and she says, to trust. And I think there's something for us to learn on this day of resurrection, especially given what we've gone through globally over the past two years. And I'm not just talking about the pandemic, about the anger and the frustration and the invasions, and the wars, and the shootings, we have survived up to today. If you're within earshot of this sermon and this worship service right now, you're alive. But if the resurrection of Jesus has anything to model for us today, it is to do more than survive. It is to be born again into real living, to love, to pleasure, to imagine, to joy, to beauty, and to adventure. This is exactly what the Jesus followers in the first century did after the resurrection of the living Jesus. Go read the stories. One of the most powerful words in the New Testament is a word that shows up all over the correspondence between the early Jesus followers who tried to articulate their faith in a world that did not support their risky trust, their full weight, and their full trust in the story of Jesus. So one of the places, I'll tell you the story. When Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, he described their sin, their worldliness, their comfort in their status in society. But as he wrote, he used this powerful little word to imagine a new world for us today. When in 1 Corinthians 6, he writes about our lives of sin and says, that is what some of you were. Now, practically speaking, that's not true. Almost every other verse in 1 Corinthians is Paul teaching and exposing and reprimanding them for the way they are, for the way that they are acting. 
there, there are multiple sections in 1 Corinthians where Paul is just going on and on about how much they are messing up and how many bad choices that they are making every day. And yet, in the first section of one of the big sin sections in 1 Corinthians, because there are plenty, but in the first big one, in chapters 5, 6, and 7, right in the middle of that first big sin section, he says, that's what some of you were. And you know why Paul says were to them in Corinth? It's because that's what God says to us in Houston right now, today. God looks at all our worries, our fears, our purchases, and our dependence on this world that we have created in our own image and says that we are not our worries. We are not our fears. We are definitely not our purchases. That's not what we are. That is what we were. That's why Perel in the interview about growing up after World War II, around those who survived and those who revived, said that those who were just not dead tended to go into their homes, shut the doors, shut the windows, and not come out that much. But those who revived and thrived did two apparent things. They had children, and they planted flowers. Now get this. Later in our story, after 1 Corinthians 6, God raises the stakes again in Ephesians 2 and uses the word were again. But not just our fears, not this time. No, now He uses the word were in terms of life and death. You were dead in your transgressions. You were dead in your fears, in your worries, in your purchases, in your dependence on this world, what Ephesians 2 calls transgressions. But not just you were sin, now it's you were dead. And just... Notice for a moment the power of that word, were. Who's Paul writing to? Paul is writing to sinful, sinning sinners. Dead, dead, dead. And that's why he calls them alive. And the word he uses is were. Ephesians 2 begins. We've already heard it once. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. That may be the most important thing that we can hear today. The empty tomb story is important, but get that. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. What, did Ephesus wake up one morning and suddenly they weren't in the world anymore? They didn't go to work. They didn't go to the bank. No, they still were there. Again, what is Paul doing in writing that kind of language to them? He says that you're right in the middle of it. That's not who you are. 
That's not what defines you. Not anymore. And then a little bit later, but because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, again, that's where we come in, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ. This sermon, Easter Sunday, is actually the third in a four-part series. And so just in case you didn't hear the first two, the first one came straight out of the Old Testament and the prophets whenever God imagined this new world for the people that one day that they were going to see and the sign was going to be when like ostriches and jackals and all these things, even they start praising God. Then, when we went into last week, is one of the passages out of the New Testament that we've heard a lot and kind of just take for granted, that whenever the religious establishment tells Jesus to tell His followers they need to be quiet, Jesus says, if they're quiet, even the stones will cry out. And if you weren't here, you missed it, because... Like, I imagine rocks, yeah, but then we did a, did a benediction from Shine a Light by the Rolling Stones. So, if you weren't here for it, that's what you missed. It was great. But, if you think that singing ostriches are impossible, or stones crying out, try this one on for size. You were dead in your sins. But now, because of the grace of the living, resurrected Jesus, you are alive in Christ, just like Jesus, born again to new life. And here's, here's the real thing. You were more than physically dead. You were dead in your heart. You were not living. And i got to tell you, that's what's bothering me today on Easter Sunday morning. I'll just tell you, something's really bothering me on this beautiful Easter Sunday morning. Because if the Bible says were, why do so many of us, myself included, still live this Jesus life in terms of are? Because if I'm truthful with myself, I identify more with the people who went in their houses and shut their doors and their windows. And then if I'm really truthful with you, which I'm going to be, my hardest job as a preacher is saying the same thing for decades to people who don't believe what I'm saying. Oh, sure. I know it's Sunday morning. And it's easy to say amen on Sunday morning. I'm not talking about that. I can stand up and I can talk pretty. I've been trained. I've been trained in rhetoric and speech and philosophy. I won state and national competitions in high school and college for talking good. I graduated summa something and I have an Ivy League sweatshirt. 
And I can probably say things that are going to get you to amen on Easter Sunday morning about all this talk about were and saved and raised with Christ. Amen? See? Got you to say it. But I think this morning what I want my preacher job to be is trying to talk so that you remember all this stuff tomorrow on the day after Easter. You, you have to do this because I don't preach on Mondays. It's my day off. Uh, I watch TV and I take naps and I read and every Monday afternoon almost without fail, kind of like communion, I guess. I make pizza on Monday afternoons. See, come tomorrow, you're going to have to embrace this stuff in such a way that you remember were. You're going to have to decide to take the risk. And that risk is what we call faith. Because faith, at least in the stories that we are reading today, and I believe them, it's why I keep doing this year after year after year, faith allows for perplexed. You know how Peter whenever he's standing there at the tomb, and then he gets uh, out of there and goes home. You know what the text says right there in Luke that was taken from Mark? It says, Peter went home after he saw that Jesus wasn't there, and he went home and he was, did you hear the word? Amazed. Go back and read the Gospel of Mark. Amazed is a euphemism. Amaze is a word in the Gospel of Mark that then translates into Luke that means, I don't know what's going on. I don't understand this. I don't get it. Every time the disciples in the Gospel of Mark don't understand what Jesus is saying or doing, Mark tells us, and the disciples were amazed. And we think, oh, they were... No, they were like, I don't understand any of this. I don't understand what's going on. And faith in Mark and Matthew, and Luke, John to a different extent, but right here in this story, at Easter, at the resurrection, the moment it happened, he goes home, he's like, I don't understand what I'm seeing. And here we are 2,000 years later. Oh, we expect you to be this, this pillar of faith, no doubts and nothing ever. No, they, the, the day it happened, they weren't like that. We don't expect you to be like that. Faith allows for perplexed. Faith allows for amazed. And if you really want to hear something as wild as singing ostriches, faith allows for those days when you do not believe. Are you perplexed? Are you amazed? Do you struggle? Do you ever struggle with your belief? You see, if you ever find yourself in this position, full of faith but perplexed on your good days and just, I don't know what to believe on your bad days, take heart. You're not alone. You're not alone today. You haven't been alone for the last 2,000 years. Even the people who were there on that day that it happened, think about that. They were there. But the resurrection of Jesus invites us to live as those who are not dead. On the days whenever you want to go in 
shut the doors and shut the windows. Remember that you're were, and then go outside and plant flowers. Don't forget this come tomorrow. Are you going to be someone who's just not dead? Or are you going to be alive? Go take risks. Go enjoy. Go imagine. Have a good time. Embrace pleasure. Forget all that old church stuff about the pillar of faith. You're just supposed to sit there cross-armed in a brown suit and frown all the time? Nah, it doesn't fly. Go love. Let yourself be loved. Let's go out into the world and live. Don't be afraid. Don't just survive. You know, I'm talking about just today, but also tomorrow. So, I guess you could call this a benediction. So here's the benediction or blessing or So go now you amazing faithful people of the living Jesus who are being made alive in Christ in every way go take risks Go, enjoy, go plant flowers, go imagine, go on adventures, go trust, and most of all, go and live.